0: I'm Khalil Ekolona, and this is Nashville. (laughs) To be a successful actor or writer takes a lot of hard work. Even if you've had all the schooling and training in the world, there's no guarantee that you'll work at all. So when it comes to getting paid for putting your blood, sweat, and tears into a project, you want your fair share. Both actors and writers of some of our favorite TV shows and movies feel they're getting the short end of the profits. So they went on strike. The Writers Guild of America has reached a tentative deal with the studios, meaning their 146 day long labor stoppage will likely soon be coming to an end. But SAG-AFTRA, the actors union, still does not have a deal on the table. That means production engine of Hollywood will still be shut down. Because our city has a growing film and television industry, we thought it would be important to rebroadcast a show from last month where we asked actors and writers, how are they coping with the stoppage of work? We'll talk with local industry folks later this hour. Producer Elizabeth Burton sat down with Carla Cristina Contreras, who is the new president of Nashville sag After Local, and asked her about why the actors are striking and what they want from the studios. Let's listen to that conversation.
1: So, I went to Los Angeles. I didn't even know I was going to get to go to Los Angeles. In fact, I didn't even know I was going to have a voice in this. You know, I get this email that says, you've been approved to go to Los Angeles. And I'm like, what? Okay, And it was really very fascinating to try and get information about this situation because nobody really could tell me anything. And then I had one of the main chair people say to me, he said, I'm just booking a one-way ticket. And I went, oh, okay, all right, then I'll book a one-way ticket. And that's what I did. And so walking into the room the very first day, picking my place to sit in our caucus room. Who knew I put myself all the way at the back of the room? But it turned out to be like the best place to sit because I could literally see everybody in the room on our side. Then we would cross the atrium or the big, you know, it's a big open space inside the AMPTP building. And we'd cross over into a conference room that had the longest table you've ever seen in your life. I felt like I was walking into an episode of Succession. So there I was sitting right across from Warner Brothers, Disney, Universal, HBO, ABC, NBC, CBS, Amazon, Netflix, Sony, you name it. I was looking at them.
2: And um, what do you? What? How would you describe? And I'll ask you this too. How would you describe SAG-AFTRA's general position right now? Our general position is
1: we're standing our ground. And there are particular items that we will not—we won't budge on. What are those items? Okay, so first and foremost, there are four items that we're, we're not going to back down on. I mean, I don't see how we get I really don't. And the first one is minimums. So basically, it's time for us to earn more just from the get-go, from the moment that we walk on set. And when I say our minimums, I'm talking about— The baseline that actors earn on television and film, it's called scale. So it's time for our scale to go up and we're asking for 11%, an 11% increase and then 4% the second year and 4% the third year because each uh, contract goes for three years. So that is our first and foremost. And here's the thing. They came back to us and offered 5%, which is basically 5% less than what we got out of the contracts three years ago in real dollars of today. I mean, I'm (laughs) not going to say yes to less money. I mean, not that I'm the decider, but we're the decider. Uh, Then we have revenue sharing for streaming. It's our residuals. In the olden days when everything was just the network, we had a residual structure that was born in 1960, which I don't know if you know, but this strike is actually the first time that the WGA and SAG-AFTRA, which we were SAG then. Have struck together since 1960. That was 63 years ago, and that's when we got residuals. So here we are, fast forward 63 years, and now the model has changed, and it is time for the pay structure to change. And we are not going to back down on that. So we have presented our point of view of what we think it should be, and basically we're asking for 2% of. The earnings like the big numbers so right now we have an interim agreement and in that agreement 2% is written in so we have independent filmmakers who are going yeah no problem we'll pay that they don't think we're asking for too much they don't think that we're out of line they don't think we're out of our minds then we have what is called self-tape abuse so Prior to the pandemic, actors would go in and they would go into to meet the casting director. They would do their audition. It would get put on tape. Or like in the regions, you would go into your agent's office and then my particular agent had a room that we would go in and one of the agents would read whatever character I was reading with in that audition. And then I'd leave. So I just had to arrive to my agent's office, go in, do my audition, and I'd leave. And then I'd wait to hear whether I got a call back or whether I got the job. During the pandemic, everything, of course, changed. First of all, the industry shut down. Then when it started to open back up with COVID protocols, then we had to start self-taping. And so they were asking us for maybe two scenes or three scenes. I had one, one of the people that I read with, he's up in Kentucky, I live in Tennessee, he called me up one day and he's like, I have this audition and they gave me 19 pages. That's abusive for an actor to have to not only prepare, They have to, we have to direct ourselves now, we have to tape ourselves now, we have to edit it, we have to upload it. So an audition, I would like prepare the character at home and then i go to my, my agent's office, and then I'd leave, and it's done, right? And they'd upload it, and they'd do, you know, the casting director. We are basically doing a good portion of the casting director's work now. Plus, we're having to direct ourselves. There's nobody to tell us, try it this way. Try it this way. Maybe you should do this. So we're asking now for its five and four-eighths pages. The reason why it's five and four eighths is because that's the way scripts are broken down in eighths. So it's five and a half pages, basically. That's the max they can give us. And they can break it down into different scenes, but that's it for the initial. And then, of course, me being from Tennessee, we deal with what is called geographical discrimination. So a role will go out to the Los Angeles or New York actors as a guest star. Maybe they don't find who they're looking for or maybe they just put it out in the breakdown for the regions and they don't call it a guest star. They call it a co-star. So everything changes because there's a pecking order in the credit system and in what you earn. So it's going to affect, so why do the regions, why should the regional actors who are from Los Angeles, from New York, from all over the country, who've been trained just as much, why should we all of a sudden be earning less money? It doesn't make sense to me. and It you know, didn't make sense to anybody else either. Then our fourth sticking point was artificial intelligence. So this is the one that's going to take some time.
2: I've seen a lot of comments on social media that are like, okay, well, teachers don't make anything, nurses don't make anything, you know, all of these other careers. So what would your response be to that argument?
1: Well, that's kind of like comparing somewhat of an apple to an onion. (laughs) (laughs) Because, I mean, a teacher, don't get me wrong, teachers do not earn enough. We all know that. But teachers also are working five days a week, plus all the work that they're doing at home, and those teachers are getting benefits. Actors and performers, we're lucky if we can book a job. I mean, I can do 50 auditions, and maybe I'll book one, maybe I'll book more than one, or maybe I'll book none. And so in order for us to qualify for our health insurance benefits, we have to earn $26,470 to qualify.
2: How many people currently are not qualifying approximately for that? It, it is almost
1: 87 percent. There should actually be a laugh track going while you're asking <laughs> this question, because if you figure that almost 87 percent of our membership can't make $26,470 – And the ones who are the celebrities, who are making millions and millions, that is less than 1% of our membership.
0: Now, before the break, we'll hear a message from local actor Clint Sosna, who has experienced in being both a union and non-union performer. I'm a
3: resident of Nashville, Tennessee. I am currently a non-union performer. Uh, Most recently worked on... um, a won the duo music video i was a bartender at the Springwater supper club i joined sag uh, in the late 90s i booked a uh, european pantene commercial um to me sag after a membership is a double-edged sword you um you know it's really exciting when you first get your card and you know, you feel part of something and, and, you know, all these celebrities are also part of it. More often than not, people, actors get corralled into to be doing background work, um, you know, and it can it can be lucrative. I I worked as a background, uh, principal background actor on Darren Aronofsky's Noah. Um, and I made like twenty twenty thousand dollars in a couple months. Um, but that is that's an exception not the norm to get principal roles you need to have a reel and when you are in the union you can only do union projects and then you don't have a reel you can't get the roles uh you know you can't get the auditions and then you're 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 back doing background and background you you oftentimes are you know barely noticed noticeable uh so you you know, you, you, they're not usable for reels. You know, the, in the final analysis, I, you know, I think it's better to be part of uh, SAG-AFTRA productions um, and without the protection from the union, actors can be quite vulnerable. Um, I've been looking into rejoining. It's going to be costly for me. Uh, rejoining is going to be about three three grand, a little bit more um, to, to reestablish myself. But, um, you know, if I want to keep working um, as an actor, as a voice performer, uh, I think my best my best route is to is to be a part of
0: the union. Thanks so much for that, Clint. That's a tough spot to be in. His comments kind of remind me of the George and Ira Gershwin song. Nice work if you can get it. And if you get it, won't you tell me how? When we come back, we'll learn what's behind the writers and actors strikes and ask are there any plot twists coming? What are your thoughts on the Hollywood strike? Tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. I'm Khalil Ecolona, and this is Nashville. Fans of TV and film are well aware of the Hollywood strikes. For months, the Writers Guild and Actors Guild refused to work on some of our favorite shows and movies. Fans felt the brunt of it, but the impact of the production machine of Hollywood stalling is felt throughout the country. That includes Nashville. A lot of local people work in hair and makeup or as location scouts. Some are feeding folks in craft services. There are many groups that come together to create TV shows and movies. That is a lot of people out of work. Yesterday, the Writers Guild came to a tentative agreement with the studios. Their strike looks like it's over. It could bode well for the actors, but time will tell what actions they decide to take. So today, we're airing a rebroadcast of an episode from last month to learn how Nashville is affected. Now, back in August, Nashville sag After Local held a rally in support of the strike. We sent producer Elizabeth Burton out to hear the local actors' concerns.
2: SAG After Strong. SAG After Strong. SAG. After strong. A bunch of actors and musical theater kids Sag chanting in a parking lot is the stuff of nightmares for most people, but not for our local SAG After members. It's Tuesday, August 15th, the 106th day of the Writers Guild of America strike and the 30th day of the Screen Actors Guild strike. About 100 local union members and supporters are standing in the back lot of the Nashville SAG After chapter building. The picket signs are just about the only shade we have. Some examples, SAG-AFTRA on strike, living wage, no AI, SAG-AFTRA strong. Even though we're Music City, the actors are here to make their voices heard.
4: Oh man, this is a good crowd. Way to show up! Way to show out, Nashville!
2: That's Mike Montgomery, outgoing president of Nashville's SAG-AFTRA local. Way
4: to show out SAG-AFTRA! Way to show out AFM! Way to show out IRC! We got three unions here today. Welcome to the SAG-AFTRA Nashville Concert for Solidarity.
2: This is the first time in 60 years that both unions have decided to strike at the same time. And that speaks to how concerned they are about the current state of the industry. Dwight Turner says he hopes that the studios will negotiate. My actor side
4: is here supporting SAG-AFTRA because I feel that it's the right time, it is very important, and I do believe that with the combined WGA and sag after a strike that the studios will eventually have to come back to the table and they're going to need to make some good decisions. And if they can't make some good decisions,
5: then they need to get some people who can.
2: The Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers, or AMPTP for short, has struggled to find common ground with the actors and the writers, but the crowd here is braving the heat to let them know the pressure's on. But it's not just industry people. There are leaders and elected officials here too and there's a palpable shift in energy when Metro Council member and mayoral candidate Freddie O'Connell arrives.
5: Seeing ...how much this strike matters to people in Nashville. We know that we have members right here on the ground in Nashville,
6: uh, but we know this resonates across the entire country. We know that when people stand together, uh, they earn fair wages, good wages, and benefits that support working families, which we know...
2: The issues at stake here are pretty serious, like better pay and job security in the face of AI. But there's also laughter in and it's pretty clear that the people here in Nashville are here to stick this thing out as long as they need to.
0: Now, to help us get a better sense of why workers are striking and what they want, I'd like to introduce my next guests. Rod Blackhurst is a member of the Writers Guild of America and the owner of Witchcraft Production Company. And Mike Montgomery is the outgoing president of the Nashville chapter of the Screen Actors Guild, American Federation of Television and Radio Artists, better known as SAG-AFTRA. Rod, Mike, thank you both for being here. Welcome to This is Nashville. Uh, Thank you so much for having us. You said it best. Really great to have you both here. So we know that there's millions of fans of television and film, and they really don't quite understand why the writers and actors are on strike. I'd like to begin with both of you kind of briefly explaining the positions of your respective crafts. Mike, you first. Okay.
4: Uh, Well, what has happened to us is the pandemic started a cascade we, we all knew streaming was out there, okay? We streamed stuff, but it exploded during the pandemic when people were locked away in their houses and they started looking for for anything they could watch to entertain themselves on television. Well, uh, then the business model began to change and, and uh, people said, okay, well, here's what we're gonna do. The motion pi- picture producer said, we're just gonna take our content and what we'll do with it then is, we're not showing it. Uh, we'll show it for two weeks in the movie theater because nobody's going to the movies, and we'll send it straight to streaming. And they were doing the same thing with their television shows. Well, we won't run it on on regular tele, rerun it on regular television again. We'll just send it straight to streaming. Well, we didn't have contracts that covered streaming, so all of a sudden, three years later. Things that we would get paid for two and three and four times that would be on rerun on network television and then go to cable, where we had coverage for all of our things on cable, went straight to streaming. And that entire level of residuals dropped out for the actors. Mm. So things – we were losing half our money. So we we make now – on a, a TV show, say like Abbott Elementary or something, I mean, these and these are the series regulars I'm talking about, are making half the money that someone would make on a, as a series regular five years ago. Mm-hmm. And that is unsustainable in our industry. Our people can't live and work for that. So many people can't earn their health insurance now. We can't earn $26,000 so they can make health insurance. And that's for the average working actor who does, you know, day player parts and stuff. All right. Thank you for explaining. Rod, can you tell us why the writers are on strike?
6: Oh, man, I'll, I'll do my best. I'm not, you know, not a WGA spokesperson, but I'll do my best to talk about it from where I stand, where my peers stand. Is We're, we're fighting for um, better wages across the board. Um, uh, we're fighting for uh, more writers to be employed in television. We're fighting for less free work. We're fighting to make sure that AI and digital technology that's not created by a human being doesn't replace a real human being. We're fighting for access to those same numbers that Mike is talking about that can allow people to have longevity and to uh, pull the gun away from the back of their head during the rainy days. Um, And I think, really, writers are looking to be valued as integral parts of the creative process and not be dismissed by content farms.
0: All right. Thank you both very much for those explanations. And you guys mentioned residuals, and they're the payments that go out to talent and crew after a project is rerun or reissued on a different medium. But how it works is really complicated and confusing for a lot of folks. But I know that they're very different from royalties, which are another form of payment. Can you, Mike, can you explain the difference of how
4: royalties uh, and, and residuals work? Not really. Okay. Because that is how confusing it is. Actors don't make royalties very often. That's something that happens in the music world. However, I do get one royalty check for when the content that I make runs overseas. Mm -hmm. It comes in, in the form of a royalty and not a residual. Okay. But I, the difference between that? No, I really can't delve into what the
0: technical. I I understand. Rod, is it equally confusing for writers? I mean, it's, it's certainly
6: confusing, but I think the easiest way to to describe it to somebody who doesn't know what a writer how a writer gets paid in that way is to say well there are gross profits and net profits and a writer has been as negotiated percentages of those oftentimes the wj has minimums and there's minimums based on tiers and those that money that comes in you know again helps in the doldrums However, it is subject to studio accounting, which often makes it look like nothing has been profitable. And now that those numbers are not visible uh, or known to a writer, they are more in the dark and writers are not able to know at all what their work, what level of viewership or interest or engagement their work has garnered. And therefore, they don't even know if they're being uh, told the truth about what that residual pot looks like
0: that they they don't seem to be getting a lot of money of. So you guys are just essentially working in a little bit of a haze, not necessarily—you're working hard, pulling 12, 14-hour days, I hear sometimes, with writing, particularly on, on television shows yet you're out here and you don't know how much money you could potentially make from the end of your efforts.
6: And this isn't a new thing. I mean, there's this incredible ongoing tweet thread that the man who wrote Men in Black uh, updates once a year when he gets his residual statement from Sony. And he notes every year, it's an incredible thread, that he uh, he's yet to make any profit and that somehow Sony has managed to lose more money than they've ever made on Men in Black annually, still to this day.
0: That's wild, because you could turn on any of these side cable shows on a weekend and see Men in Black running. That's- so
6: outside of a, a strike here, right? You you mm. begs the same question of like, well, again, I don't have access to these things yet. These are the this is a this is something that's making money based off my work, and oftentimes it's based off of speculative work when that writer put in the time and effort before they ever knew they were going to get paid. They certainly didn't have a salary. They didn't have any of the protections that a studio position would afford them. Men in Black can't make its millions and millions
0: of dollars without that writer's mm-hmm. idea and without IATSE and without SAG. Well, Well, explain the difference between television shows and films, because, you know, sometimes they have several writers. TV shows have a crew of writers, a writer's room, maybe 10 to 12 writers working on that. Sometimes a film has one, two, maybe three writers in that, in in, in those situations. What's that? what's that difference like? How is the money split up between people?
6: This is a great question so I've worked predominantly in film, motion pictures, uh, independent features, Uh, you know, struggled to get studio films made, not this year. Um, I don't know enough about the writer room breakdown truly. I do know that it's a system of apprenticeship largely where you have these uh, showrunners and writers that are employing rooms of people that are working their way up and learning the system, learning the studio system so that one day they could run their own show and that is very much what the WGA is fighting for is that ecosystem to exist in a, in a viable, healthy way so that there can be more uh, future generations of strong writers out there. I don't know enough about how the pay works, but I do know that there are minimums that are being asked for in minimum periods of employment um, where writers can you know continue to do what they do.
0: Now, I'm interested, Mike, in the fixed rate that exists for actors. It's something known as scale. And here's yes. just a real quick personal story. Years ago, when I was living in New Mexico, I took up some work as an ac- extra Extras normally get paid one hundred dollars per mm-hmm. day. Coming back from lunch, they needed someone to say a line, one particular line on this television show that never made it to air. They picked me out of the crowd, set me with a, a a dialogue coach for about twenty minutes, and then I said the line. Then they moved me to refile my paperwork because I went from getting one hundred dollars to one thousand dollars right. just simply for one line. you're a principal performer. a principal performer. How does that change from someone who is a series regular as opposed to someone who is the star of the series?
4: Well, if the star of the series, there is no scale for them. They negotiate way above scale. If they're a series regular, you are negotiating as a series regular, you will say... And you can—this th- th- varies also, depending on the series and depending on the person and what their level of what their part is as a series regular. But say $7,000 per episode, they will negotiate uh, $7,000 per episode with a 10-episode guarantee. Hmm. So that guaranteed you seventy grand for the year. And the way that worked then back in the old days is when they would get that for the initial— Performance, and then when that performance reran again on ABC, say their network, you would make that again. And then when it went down to cable, if it found life to live on cable somewhere, then of course you would not make that much money. It would drop down considerably, but it would be based on the number of times it ran. So if it found a long life on cable and still runs somewhere, you're always going to be making a little money. Mm-hmm. You know, here, I, you're probably too young. The Ernest films here, Ernest. Oh, I remember okay, Ernest. Okay, well, yeah. I was in Ernest Scared Stupid and Ernest Goes to Jail. I got a residual check last week. Mm-hmm. And that was, I made those in the late 80s, one in 89 and one in 91. And if you land on something like that, that there's always demand for, you know, it can be, or or you're in a TV show that finds life, uh, uh like MASH or something like that. You know, you're on the gravy train. Yeah. It, it really works. for. That's how you make your
0: living. In the past, I knew a gentleman who was a series regular on the hit TV show ER. Right. And, they, and that exactly. show ended a long time before I met him in 2008, right. and he was telling me he doesn't mind working because at the end of the month, he gets a really hefty Right. I have a, I have a friend that
4: was a regular on ER yeah, as well. And he didn't make it. you know, to piggyback on what Rob was saying, uh, and he was saying he didn't know the numbers, I read the other day that... For streaming, from streaming, what the WGA is asking for is one-half of 1% that the studios make on streaming. Mm. That's what they want, one-half of 1%. Sag After is asking for 2%. So because these aren't big asks. These are not big asks. Certainly not relative to like and, uh, what the bottom line looks like. And, and right, what the bottom yeah. line looks like. And when we laid those numbers out, they, they called us unreasonable, got up and walked away.
0: All right. And now, it's not just actors and writers who are affected by this strike. Crew members vastly outnumber the talent on any given production set. And with the stoppage of production, many of them are left without work. Daryl Wilson is the president of Chapter 46 of the International Allegiance of Theatrical yes. Stage Employees or IATSE. Daryl, thanks for being with us.
5: Thanks for the invitation.
0: Really appreciate it. So, how is the strike impacting members of
5: IATSE? Well, you're faced with simply a work stoppage. Um, last summer, there were eight shows last summer at this time, there were eight shows here in Tennessee. Two, One in Knoxville, one in Memphis, and then the, re- the remainder were here in Nashville. And um, we really saw, folks of us in the industry, uh, we really saw that this was going to be the moment that we were going to start climbing, Mm -hmm. you know, to have, again, in maybe a year, the same amount, to set a standard, maybe a couple more, and really start rolling. So you were hoping that there was going to be some sort of... standard again of work that you could count on and now we walked into this year January finished a um, network television show that was in Memphis so that was great for some of us who were able to carry that over into the new year a few weeks after that maybe a month or so uh, an Amazon film that's going to be starring Nicole Kidman Started up here in Nashville, so you know like we had hopes, you know again that we're just gonna you know We're gonna make it through the dead of winter into spring and summer have more work and then the writer's strike happened mm. and Then now the actors cool. have walked out as well.
0: How much do you, are you concerned? Because you know as you say, Nashville is attempting to really bolster itself and establish this standard But we have Atlanta four hours south of us, which is a hub for entertainment, a lot of studios are there. Are you concerned that this work stoppage is going to take interest away from Nashville and future production opportunities?
5: Um, I'm hopeful that that will not be the case, simply because the of the eight shows that occurred here last year, um, the production the, the the production companies were all predominantly tied to. The largest companies that we're talking about dealing with the AMPTP, you had Amazon, you had Comcast with NBC Universal, you had Paramount Plus. Um, I'm going to miss a couple, but it, I, I, I think that they know. Apple Plus has been here. Um, they've they have programming that is that has been done here, so I think they know what they have. It's just getting it to a level Mm. of reliability
0: all right now all of you are members of unions from what i understand correct me if i'm wrong there are non-union productions that are still happening right gentlemen
6: Oh, yes. yes,
4: absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And
6: I actually have a question about that. the IATSE part of this, I was thinking like we were talking earlier before we came in here, um, SAG-AFTRA has been granting these interim agreements to ind- independent productions and producers right? that can agree to these terms, which is proving that it, one, it is possible to agree to these terms and mm-hmm. if a smaller entity with not a lot of money can agree to this, why can't you know these massive corporations agree to this? I'm curious, actually, Daryl, was thinking about this, like, can IOTC members, they can still work on all of those independent productions, right, that are, you know, not with a struck
5: company? Um, that is chiefly how we are trying to string it together. But then there's a whole other aspect of what folks here on this side of the table would necessarily call day work, commercials, mm-hmm. music videos, Because that's whatever. not struck. Those, that, that None is of not that, struck. right. None of that is... Th- What we're talking about is major production, television and motion pictures. Mm -hmm. Um, There are still certain avenues uh, for work, but it is relying more and more on non-union work. What are the
0: differences in working conditions for a non-union job versus a union job, Um, The
5: The primary difference is the fact that there's a written contract. And that, the, uh, in, and, and that the workers have a say in how the day can be structured, how long the day can be uh, breaks, the fact that people are getting paid a scale rather than whatever someone wants to offer. So I mean, it's, it's, it's really, it's having the contract. Mm.
0: We have a clip of Fran Drescher, SAG-AFTRA's current president, speaking to the press in July.
1: The eyes of the world, and particularly the eyes of labor, are upon us. What happens here is important, because what's happening to us is happening across all fields of labor, by means of when employers make Wall Street and greed their priority, and they forget about the essential contributors that make the machine run. We have a problem.
0: Now, Fran's point about this type of problem existing for workers in all fields is pretty interesting. Mike, what would you say to someone who doesn't feel like actors and writers' current struggles are all that important?
4: This, this struggle that we're happening, having right now, this strike is, is not about the stars. The stars all make their own deals. They work above scale. This is about the journeyman actor, the guy you see and you recognize are the ones you don't recognize that are playing the cop, the bartender, the whatever. They may work a week or even just one day on this. That's what this strike is about. This is about the average meat and potatoes people that, that you don't know that ones that struggle to make $26,000 a year to earn their insurance. And we've had a lot of our members who were earning insurance three years ago who aren't doing it now, and that's not acceptable to us. Now, now Rod,
0: you know, tell me what's your assessment of the negotiations at this point. I only have a couple minutes left. Sure. I mean,
6: I'm not privy to any of it. Of course, I'm just encouraged that um, the AMPTP, who should drop the P because they actually don't know how to produce anything, um, had the courage to ask to get back to the the negotiating table. I do want to say about real quickly about this, this idea that, you know, everyone's got money and they maybe, you know, we're not. Does so-and-so need more money? Does so-and-so need to get paid more? And I think that, like, largely in the film business, most people are scraping by. Most people have side hustles. Most people drive Uber. Most people do anything they can to make ends meet. And you've got these people, right, who have committed their entire life to creating the thing that brings you a lot of joy, at least a writer does. You know, you've got a small membership that creates all of the television and film that you watch. It's about 11,000 members, I think, who voted to strike... Like these these people do want to make a living. At the same time, there's people outside of the industry who go, Well, you know, you shouldn't be so lucky as to have a guaranteed job all the time. Look at any other industry. There's a chance mm-hmm. they could get laid off and they can't cut they they can't make ends meet either. So I, I do understand it. Um it but it is relative to the people that have like gone all in on this. They are being marginalized and they're being taken advantage of. And why not ask for fair protections and, uh, you know, uh, safety for them in the same way you would want that for anybody else who exists out there who is a laborer, who is creating something of value and making a contribution to the world and to someone's life?
0: I mean, simply because it's entertainment doesn't mean it's not important. Imagine a world without movies, television.
6: I mean, it, it's not the ultimate thing, but it is It is a, a big part of our culture. It makes a major contribution, and you know, people don't want to be taken advantage of, just like a hotel worker shouldn't be taken advantage of, just like someone who works uh, you know, below the line on a production shouldn't
0: be taken advantage of. Rod Blackhurst is a writer and the owner of Witchcraft Production Company, and Daryl Wilson is the president of IATSE Local 492. Thanks to you both for being with us today, and good luck to you, gentlemen. Thank you so much for having us. Mike Montgomery will stick with us through the break. When we come back, we'll learn about what's at stake for Nashville creatives in the film and TV settings. And you can join the conversation by tweeting us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Khalil E. Colonna. And this is Nashville. The writers' strike is over, but the actors' strike remains. Your favorite TV shows and movies are one step closer to returning. Now, although their role is important, you'll need a lot more people working along with writers to make a TV show or film. That's why we're bringing you this rebroadcast of an episode from last month where we talked with people most affected, the folks who bring us entertainment. Now, before the break, we heard about why the writers and actors are on strike. We also learned about how the strikes are affecting the crew who work on film and television projects. Now let's explore what's at stake for local creatives, and how the strike could impact the TV and film industry in Nashville. For that, I'd like to introduce my next guest, Julie Lighty, is a local production coordinator and production supervisor. Julie, thanks for being here, and welcome to This Is Nashville.
7: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Okay, so folks who don't know, for for folks who don't know, can you briefly explain what a production coordinator and production supervisor
7: does? Essentially, we're managerial, and we coordinate equipment, crew hires, make sure everyone knows exactly what they're doing on an any given day basis. Um, and essentially, we put out all theoretical and sometimes actual fires
0: uh-huh. <laughs> that so, occur. So essentially, when you're not on the set doing work, but you're in the production office, right?
7: As a coordinator, you're in the production office. As a supervisor, you're in both. You're in both. We have to be on set. Talking to to, to department heads, asking them, you know, what's going on in the day? What struggles are you having? How can I help? How can I make things better? Can't do that from an office. Mm -hmm. But we do also go back to the office because then we have to coordinate with vendors, with the coordinating team, office PAs, that kind of thing.
0: A lot of long hours?
7: Yes. We're talking 16, 18 hours a lot of days.
0: And for productions, can go two, three months
7: sometimes even longer, six months for television.
0: Wow. That's a lot of hard work. You know, I have a little bit of personal experience working on television film projects from being in front of the camera, on the crew, to being in the production office. And, you know, there was a mantra, always have your next job lined up before the production is over. What, before the strike, what was your frequency of work in Nashville?
7: In Nashville, it was hit or miss. Um, like kind of Daryl said before, we had a lot of productions happening last year, so that was a giant influx. Um in previous years, you know, we might have anywhere between three to five productions, sometimes even less than that. It just depends. Um in the nineties we were we were hopping a lot more as a state, and Bob Rains has done a lot of great work with the state of Tennessee to bring more productions in. Um and last year, like you know, again, like Daryl said, we were finally getting to the point of now we can actually build a hub here, now we can actually train crew, and now we're seeing more of a fulfillment of our industry.
0: All right, now my next guest can offer his assessment on the future of film and TV in Nashville. Bob Raines is the executive director of the Tennessee Entertainment Commission. Bob, thanks for being here. Oh, thanks for having me, excited to be here. So, you know, before I get to your thoughts about the strike and the future of Nashville, tell us everybody, tell us what the Tennessee Entertainment Commission does. Yeah, absolutely, so um, we are a division
8: of uh, the Tennessee Tennessee Economic Community Development and sort of my primary job is to um, bring high quality job opportunities to our creatives across the state of Tennessee. So I mean, I work in every single um, market here in the state. and. Um, sort of our primary responsibilities are we deal with incentives of course and that's sort of the primary thing that we deal in um, we work we have a workforce directory which um, houses about 2500 people from across the state of Tennessee so if you're looking for people to work in the industry you can go to this directory uh, we also have a marketing um, campaign where, where we try to sort of market our state as a viable marketplace to bring all sorts of productions you know you know to I mean it could be from commercials
0: music videos Videos, motion picture, television—you know everything. You know how many people work in the film and television industry are are based around Nashville. So around
8: Nashville, Nashville is actually the hub of of the state. Um, So about ninety-five percent of our industry, as far as people working in it and our production services, are are here in the state. I would say maybe you know the numbers I've seen. We could see around you know 2,000, maybe a little over 2,000 mm-hmm. um, here. What's in the,
0: the in the middle in the middle Tennessee? I'm
7: curious. Period.
0: I'm curious about the economic impact of television films and projects here. Like, how much does it add to the state's economy? So well, luckily
8: for you, I have all these numbers here in front of me, and I can awesome. tell you exactly what that is. So, Fantastic. Um, you know, typically we're going to put out $424 million in what we call just sort of gross domestic domestic product here. So that's going to be, you know, people's wages, you know, what business services they are going out. So that's $424 million. About $268 million of that are, are earnings that go to our Tennesseans um, in the industry just for the motion picture video production. Um and so yeah I mean it's um you know
0: it's it's pretty significant. Yeah, Mike Montgomery with SAG after is still with us. Mike thanks for again for for being here. Are you are you worried that creative folks out here because of these strikes are going to go ahead and move on to different careers? No not really
4: because you don't do this you become an actor because you have to become an actor. Mm. It's just something that drives you and that's why you write. That's why writers write. That's why actors act. And they they may move on to something temporarily and get a better side hustle, but, you know, when this starts back up again, they're going to They're going to file back in. Now, you know, the cost oh. of living in Tennessee and Nashville
0: are really going up. We've seen musicians move away because Absolutely. of cost. Do you think actors are
4: going to do the same, go to other, maybe different parts of the state or even leave the state? Uh, no, I, I think they will live surrounding within driving distance because... This is where the hub is, and this is where the movies will work from. Mm. And, you know, it, it, people say, yeah, you know, a lot of things are shot rurally, and, and they are, but many of those will be shot in the surrounding counties, you know, when they move out. And, but the production hubs will remain here, unless, of course, it's somewhere where they want to go sit down in the Great Smoky Mountains.
7: Mm-hmm. I don't think people are going to leave this area. There's something about being in Tennessee that people are coming home. They'll go to L.A., they'll work for 10 years, they'll come back, though, because Tennessee is their home. Mm-hmm.
4: We see that in all and the out. time. Yeah. And, and, you know, our local here, yeah, well, I know we're talking about Nashville, but our Nashville local, we also cover Kentucky and Muscle Shoals, Alabama. Okay. And Muscle Shoals because of the music studios, because half of our members here are singers and recording artists in SAG-AFTRA. So, and that still goes on. So we got half the people who are the old school triple threat. You can sing, dance and act. Well, you know, the way the way things have gone in the last 10 years, it looks like uh, every singer wants to act and every actor wants to sing.
0: Hey, (laughs) I'm down for it as long as it's good entertainment. Now, now, Bob, tell us, how are adjacent industries being impacted by the strike?
8: Well, I think every state around us, um, if you're talking about other states around us being impacted.
0: States or industries like industries within Nashville. I'm sure the hotel industry is being affected pretty Strenuously.
8: yeah, I mean, you know, the thing with Nashville is that uh, the the tourism industry here is very strong So um, it's not really that kind of impact I think you know that that we see as far as on, on other businesses now within the as far as general and sort of Widespread but you know when you're talking about the businesses that really service the film and television. I mean,
0: absolutely I mean, there's some strain there So what are we looking at for the future of television and film here is the potential that we showed before the strikes Is that gone forever?
8: No, absolutely not. Um, You know, the thing is, I think Daryl was talking about this in your last segment. You know, last year in 2022, we came out of the pandemic. We brought in just through through my through through the office um, through, through the entertainment commission. We had about 27 independent feature films, you know, happening in in 2022, which and that was a lot for us. With a TV series, with a major feature, and we had a lot of independent films. I mean, most of the things were independent films. I think our economic output last year was around 325 million dollars, and that's a lot, you know, for you know, for, for our marketplace here and going into this year, when I was looking at setting up what my recruitment pipeline looked like, because I see, I see product, you know, probably six months before it comes into the state. And so as I'm lining up the pipeline, I probably saw about the same coming into this year. Um, as we were leaving the Amazon project and we were going into, um, the second quarter, we, I, I already had maybe two or three other pretty big features going, you know, that were going to happen until, You know the strike, and so um, it's it's, um, and no no doubt that you know the conversations we're having right now are going to lead to next year. Whenever this sort of we get we get over this, that is going to come back very very strong very fast.
0: Now, you know, we talked to Carla Cristina Contreras, who is the president elect of Nashville Mm -hmm. SAG after, about what it was like being on the national negotiating committee, and we you know we heard from her that. You know she's 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 really trying to attempt to bring something uh, some, a sort of result going on here, and you know we're reminded that SAG still isn't back at the table with AMPTP. Mike, what do you feel needs to change to
4: make that happen? Well, SAG is actually at the table. We never left. The AMPTP walked away and refused to come back. So the, we're we're waiting on them. Waiting on them. We are, that's, that's what we're doing right now. And anytime they want to talk, we're willing to talk. The same thing with the writers. When they went back in, you know, the writers are currently talking because the A.M.P.T.P. came back to the table. Mm-hmm. The writers were always there, always waiting, always willing to talk. Then you said something, last question for you, you know, you said something about
0: actors do it because they have to act. There's just calling. Yeah. Writers are have a calling. I talked to my sister, well-known actress, She's she's been doing this since she was nine years old, mm-hmm. so for over forty years, and she's really bummed out about this happening again. She says it was a, it's a lack of respect shown from the studios to these people who work so hard and have dedicated themselves to this craft. What do you want our listeners to know about the dedication that you and your peers put into this work, and how this situation is unfolding?
4: Well, to us, we are trying to bring something. To people who want to watch it, that can mean something to them in their lives. You know, you watch it because it makes you laugh. If you need a release, you watch it because if you like law and order, because you like a mystery and you like to watch this unfold. Uh, Things that that make you sad and make you cry, like on the Hallmark Channel. You know, people love to watch Christmas movies that make them tear up and do things like that. That's what actors want, that we want to, and writers want to make people feel something.
8: Mm.
4: We want to take them out of their everyday life and make them feel something. And what has happened in the last few years, what we do for the public has just become nothing but content to the people who sell it. They don't care whether it makes anyone feel anything. They only care about how much money they can make off of it and off of us. I want to thank my guests so much for this conversation.
0: Production coordinator and supervisor Julie Lighty, Bob Rains with the Tennessee Entertainment Commission, and Mike Montgomery with local SAGAFTRA. Thank you all for being with us. Really appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in this hour. This is Nashville is a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Today's episode was produced by Elizabeth Burton. Laura Boach is our technical director. The masterminds behind our theme music are Lorange and Namir Blade. You can listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. And the conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at This Is Nashville. Find us on Instagram and tell us what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This Is Nashville. I'm Khalil Ecolona. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. And be good to each other.